Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and my co-host, Caleb Jenks, is with us from down in Rosebud, Texas. So, a couple announcements to start off. This is going to be the last time we do the podcast on Friday night. From now on, starting next week, we are going to be doing the podcast on Sunday nights. It's going to be the same time, same format, same Facebook uh, you know, page that you can get on and watch the videos. We're still going to be on Spotify and Google Play and all those different places for the podcast, but we are going to uh, be on Sunday nights, not Friday nights. So next week, please join us on Sunday evening. And I can't tell you what the date is because I don't have a calendar in front of me. It'll be the, it'll be the bigger, better Bible Thumper. Oh, yeah. It's going to be the new way, revised with way more what, followers. Way more thump. So <clears throat> that's going to be the 25th, October the 25th. Uh, we are going to be on Sunday instead of Friday. So I also don't know what we're going to be talking about because I uh, might be hunting and might not be able to make it. So you guys are going to have to um, just suffer along without me. I probably shouldn't have said that. Our numbers are going to dive now that everyone knows that it's only going to be you, Caleb, and we don't even know what the subject is. So tonight we are going to be talking about the case for the pre-tribulation rapture. And Caleb takes an interesting view on this. He doesn't care. I uh, really picked this topic, and, and really I picked the topic because we talked about the end times and the rapture in an episode in the past. And then one of our listeners uh, got a hold of me and said, Hey, I was really thinking you guys were going to talk about, you know, the differences between the different ideas of when the rapture is going to happen, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-tribulation raptures. And I said, okay, that's a good point. You know, uh, we can get onto that another time. So this is uh, for, uh, you know, one of our friends that wanted to know some information about why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. As I said, Caleb takes the more relaxed view of who cares. I will see when it happens, and that's good enough for me. And we love and respect Caleb for the strong stance he takes in that. (laughs) (laughs) The courage (laughs) it takes to to have those convictions, Caleb. So Patrick has... Patrick has, uh, looks like about 56 minutes to convince me otherwise now. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and keep in mind, you know, my really, Caleb's viewpoint is a popular one. There are plenty of people that say that, you know, uh, what does it matter? I'm either going to be dead or it's going to happen the way it's going to happen, no matter what I believe. So, you know, what does it matter? It's not going to change anything. So the, the short answer to that is, well, if it doesn't matter, then why did God write so much about it? Uh, God spent a lot of time writing about biblical eschatology, which is the end times, the second coming in the end times. So therefore, uh, I figure, well, we should study it. If God wrote it down, we should study it. So I enjoy doing that. Some people don't care as much about prophecy or the end times, and, and that's fine. Um, it's, it's a topic that's very exciting to me. I very much enjoy it. And it gives me a reason to check out the news every so often to see how close we are to it. So 
as far as jumping into this, I wanted to go over just a little bit of information here to start. So if you think about it, this is where we're gonna this is where we're gonna kick off. So now, do I get do I get like a couple seconds before you run into your like? Do you want to jump in? 50, I'm sorry, fifty minutes. Thought... Fifty minutes. No, I thought... I'm along. I'm along for the ride. I'll I'll, okay. throw, I'll throw in. I'll throw throw in a few zingers here and there. I'm sure. And please do ask questions if something comes up that doesn't make sense. You know, by all means, I mean, ask a question. We we definitely you know uh, definitely want that. Okay. So I was just busy. Um, I shared this in a few places online, but I was just going to mention to y'all. So we had on our last video that we put out last week, we had uh, by the time that we ended the video, we had over a thousand views on the video, which is about as many followers as we have on our page. So if you're watching the video, uh, remember to follow us so that you can see the videos that we put out every week. It's been every Friday for the last what 10 months now we're going it'll it'll be a year we're close we know to it. a year yeah we're close to a year and um so anyways if you want to keep up with us uh make sure you follow us also I'm curious where people are watching us from because I certainly don't have a thousand friends in Rosebud that are watching this so um comment tonight let us know where you're where you're at, uh, what city, state, or country that you're watching this from, um, because I'd be curious to find out where people actually watch this thing. And uh, don't don't hesitate to share it with your friends as we listen to Patrick convince us of his has of his viewpoint. As he said, I'm I'm like a uh, I'm like a registered Democrat undecided voter at a uh, Trump at a Trump town hall meeting. If you watched that the other day, they had a bunch of people that they said were were um, undecided voters that were registered Democrats that have voted for Hillary Clinton. I was like, yeah, but you might as well just call it what it is. <laughs> but anyways, no, I, I have never taken a strong stand on this because I hate to see people uh, split and fighting over over an issue like this. So Patrick and I are great friends and love each other, even though he takes a strong stand on this issue. And I think it's it's a kind of a, I don't know, peripheral topic. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to see if Patrick convinces me by the end and also comment. Let us know what your views are on this topic as well. We always enjoy the discussion. Also, next week, um, Patrick mentioned we don't have a topic. So please let us know what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, Patrick's going to be very successful on his elk hunting trip and he'll be back in time for the podcast. I'm sure it will be on Sunday. Um, if he's not around, it'll be me or maybe if one of you guys wants to join me, let me know. But I'll be open to suggestions. We had one suggestion that came in last week. Um, and if I don't get a great suggestion this week, we may talk about that one. And that was on deception. How do Christians become deceived? Um, so we'll see what what uh, suggestions come in tonight through the podcast. Let us know what, what you want to hear about next week. And with that, Patrick, it's all yours again. Okay. <clears throat> so let's just jump right in here. So um uh caleb you, you set me up for a zinger and then you just kept talking so i kind of missed the timing of it to really make you sound foolish but i'll see if i can do it now so okay, i always appreciate oh, yeah. the, the sentiment that, that's great <laughs> great friends always want to make their friends look like fools yeah i could have said that i had an opportunity to enlighten people about the bible but that's really not what my motive was i, I just wanted you to sound silly so Caleb called it a peripheral issue. So 
um, I wanted to remind everyone that what we are waiting for is the Lord to return. And remember, uh, Jesus refers to us as his bride. So he is the bridegroom. We are the bride and we are waiting for him to come back. And I, uh, I see that as something we should be excited about and we should be desiring and we should uh, not call it a peripheral issue. I would take offense to that if my wife said that to me. But that's okay, Jesus, uh, Caleb. If you want to offend the good Lord Jesus on this podcast, you know you can do it. I just want to make sure he understands that I am not with you. So, well, Patrick and I both agree. We are looking forward to the return of Christ. It's just, amen. Whether it's seven years sooner or seven years later. Yeah, yeah, is where, no, where I, we, uh, Patrick's <laughs> looking forward to getting out of here. I'm preparing to endure to the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. So anyways, listen to Patrick, okay. give you an, an escape plan here. Let's plan for the rapture. Here we go. So tonight is not a discussion of whether or not there will be a rapture. We went over that in the past and you can look up our previous episode on the end times and the rapture and you can hear about that and that goes over a little bit of what the rapture is and is it going to happen. Tonight is a discussion of when it will take place. So the timing of the rapture surrounds a seven-year period of time that people typically call the Great Tribulation. Now, that is technically inaccurate as far as the title. Jesus uses that term, the Great Tribulation, but he does not use that for the entire seven years. He only uses it for the last half, the second three and a half years. This seven-year period is broken down into two three-and-a-half-year periods. In the middle of those two three-and-a-half-year periods, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, that, keep in mind, does not currently exist, it is going to be built, that Jewish temple is going to be desecrated by the Antichrist. We read about that. Jesus explains it in Matthew chapter 24. Daniel explains that back in the book of Daniel. I believe it's Daniel chapter 7. <clears throat> and uh, we read about that in Revelation as well when it, when it takes place. So the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple, and he's going to do it at the midpoint of that seven-year period. So the second three-and-a-half-year period is called the time of Jacob's trouble, and it is given that title in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Now, I'm going to give you several verses as we go through this whole subject. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just putting them on the tape there so you can listen to it again and, and do your own homework and look these up later. So the second three and a half year period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. That is found in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse seven. And that is also called the great tribulation by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. So this time period is talked about in many, many places in the Bible. But in the book of Revelation, in chapters 11, 12 and 13, It is described in three different ways. It's described as three and a half years. It's described as 42 months. And it is described as 1,260 days. So there is no way we can deny that this period exists. It's explained and defined and talked about many, many times 
all the way through the Bible, from the Old Testament, all the way through to the New Testament. The question is, are the Christians supernaturally removed prior to that period of time? That is called the pre-tribulation rapture. And that is what I believe, and that's what I'm going to give you the case for. The other question would be, are Christians removed in the middle of that time period? And that is called a mid-tribulation rapture. Or are they removed after the seven years? And that is called a post-tribulation rapture. So we're going to get into a couple of Bible verses here. And just to start making my, my, my case here. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 21, verse 36. We read, Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus explains that we are going to be able to escape all these things. And you can read through the chapter and get the context. We're talking about the end times and the wrath that is to come. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Those that are saved by the blood of Christ are saved from the wrath of God. And I'm going to hit a couple more verses and then I'm going to, you know, give you the other side and the argument that I hear sometimes. First Thessalonians 5, 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to understand that there is what we can call, we're talking about the wrath of God. Now, people will say, Patrick, doesn't the Bible say that in this world we're going to have tribulation? It absolutely does. In John chapter 16, verse 33, we read, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, the Bible absolutely does say that we are going to have tribulation, and you will have tribulation in this world if you are a Christian, and it will be because of your Christianity. But there is a big difference between tribulation that is promised to every Christian throughout all time who are on earth and what the Bible calls and what Jesus calls the great tribulation. Remember, the Bible promises that every Christian will have some tribulation in this life, but that's different from the great tribulation. Remember, the great tribulation happens during one seven-year period specifically the last half. So all the Christians in the first several generations did not suffer the great tribulation, but they, like us, do have tribulation in this world because they are a Christian. Do you see the difference? Tribulation happens to everybody, but only the Christians that are, uh, or I should say, only the people who are alive at the time of that seven-year period are going to be able to see what happens and they are going to have to go through or endure the Great Tribulation. So, I'm going to start by going over one of the first stories in the Bible that explains a rapture. And I am going to show you how this 
is a picture of what is to come. The Greek model of prophecy is prediction and fulfillment. Something is explained and then that event occurs. So it's prediction and fulfillment. But the Hebrew model of prophecy is pattern. You see the same thing happen again and again and again and again through the Bible. It doesn't have to be a prediction. It can just be a repeating pattern that you will see over and over. So we're going to go all the way back to uh, the beginning in the book of Genesis, and we're going to go through Genesis chapters 5 and 6. And here we go. So in Genesis chapter 5, starting in verses 21 through 24, we find a man named Enoch. We read, and Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, Genesis chapter 5 is not the most exciting chapter because it's a chapter about genealogy. So it goes over, Adam had a son named Seth, and then after Seth, he lived this long, and then he died, and then Seth had a son, uh, Enos, not Enoch, Enos, E-N-O-S, and Enos had a son, and it just goes down the family tree, leading down to Noah. So what we, there are two things we need to notice. Number one, Enoch did not die. It says that God took him. He didn't die. This is not only the first example in the Bible of someone being raptured. It is also a picture of the pre-tribulation rapture. And I'll explain how this works in a second. The second thing we want to notice about Enoch is that he was a godly man. He was clearly not only saved, but a representation of saved people in the Bible. Two times in four verses, the Bible says Enoch walked with God. So then we get to Genesis chapter 6, and this is the exciting chapter leading up to the flood, and we read about this guy, Noah. So Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Noah, we find out, was a preacher of righteousness. And we read that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And Noah lived through the flood with his seven other family members. So what this shows us is that there were three groups during the story of the flood. There was number one, the group that perished during the flood. Number two, the group that went through the flood and endured. And number three, the group who walked with God that was removed prior to the flood. Just like the rapture, a group perishes during the tribulation, a group goes through it, and a group is removed prior to to it. Now, if you want another example of how this whole thing works, not just that the rapture will be 
a pre-tribulation rapture. You will also find this in the Jewish wedding feast. So the way that the Jewish wedding tradition worked at the time of Christ paints a picture of the second coming. Now, I only got about 10% through getting my verses together here, and I was just slow. So a lot of this is going to be from memory. So let's have at it and see where we get. First, you have the betrothal. The way the betrothal works is the groom calls on the bride, and the bride must accept the call. See, in Israel, during the time of Christ, although weddings were somewhat arranged, the parents were involved, but the bride always got a say. Once she was called on, she could make the decision and say, no, I don't feel like that is what God wants. I do not want to marry that man. And they would not get engaged or what the Bible would call betrothed. And <clears throat> the groom would go and she would wait for another. Now, if she received the groom's invitation to wed, at this point, they are not married, but they are engaged to be married. And it is a serious enough commitment that it takes a divorce to separate them. <clears throat> This is where Mary and Joseph were when they found out that Mary was pregnant. Joseph didn't want to divorce her publicly. He kept the whole thing secret because what was the penalty, Caleb, for a woman who cheated on her husband? Death. Stoning. It was death. It was stoning. Now, keep in mind, it was also a capital crime for a husband to cheat on his wife. The problem was there was an obvious sign when the woman would cheat on the husband, she could get pregnant. And that's what happened. So Mary was pregnant. So Joseph didn't want that to get out because he loved her and he didn't want her to get stoned. Now you say, well, wait, why would she get stoned? They weren't married. That's exactly the point. They were betrothed. That counted. Now, they were not married, but the betrothal was a contract they entered into. So a date was coming when they were going to wed. Did, do you know that during the time of Christ, after a betrothal, for them to split up, they would need a divorce? They didn't just decide not to get married and she gave the ring back and you know, he called her crazy and the families fought and everyone left, you had to go through the process of divorce, even though the engagement and the consummation of the marriage hadn't happened yet. This represents God calling us to him for salvation. We respond by saying yes. We call on the name of the Lord. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his invitation to uh, enter into that marriage. We are now engaged. And from this point on, what are we called in relation to Christ? 
Christ calls us his what? Bride. He calls us his bride. We are the bride of Christ. You say, what? Yep, Jesus is engaged. Now, we read about that in Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. It talks about that there is a bride of the Lamb. We also read about that in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We find this idea many, many times in the Bible. Christians who are saved in the New Testament, we are called the church and we are called the bride of Christ. As a matter of fact, the church is called the bride of Christ. So all of us right now are engaged to the Lord Jesus. Okay, so where is he? <clears throat> That's a great question. Let's go to John chapter 14. I thought I had it right up here. Okay, <clears throat> whoop, give me one second. And here we go. John chapter 14, let's start in verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. <clears throat> and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So that's the great promise that, you know, we've, a lot of us have read about in the Bible. We understand that Jesus ascended into heaven and he said very simply, I will come again. Okay, great. How, what, what does that have to do with what you're talking about? Well, the tradition <clears throat> in the time of Christ for the Jewish wedding was that after the engagement, the bridegroom would leave and go back home to his father's house, and he would build on an addition of some sort so that him and his bride would have a place to live. So he would leave, he would go back home to his father's house, and he would build this addition, and then he would be told by his father when the addition was ready, he would be told by his father, okay, it's time, go get your bride. Now, the whole time that he's gone, which, you know, I think the bride was hoping would not be very long, and, and the bridegroom was obviously excited, so he wanted to get married. He was hoping it wouldn't be very long, but he had work to do. So he would go to his father's house, he would build on this addition, and the, the groom did not know when he was going to go back and get his bride. He just knew that it was going to happen. And we read that in the Bible, where Jesus said that not even the Son knows the day or the hour. Not the Son, but the Father only. So Jesus, right now, the Bible says in John 14, is in his Father's house. He's up in heaven. And who is he building mansions for? Us, the bride. So then the Father all of a sudden is going to say, okay, it's time. Go get her. So then... <clears throat> The groom goes to the bride's house. And do you know what the bride's been doing this whole time? She has kept her lantern trimmed and full of oil, ready to go. So the bride is surrounded by her family 
and they are all trying to keep her spotless and ready for the groom to show up at any moment because they don't know when it's going to happen and they want her to appear ready for her groom. So she gets a spot on her dress, they clean the dress. Her hair's messed up, they do her hair. Okay, her nails aren't done, they do her nails. And I, you know, I mean, I'm making this up. I doubt they were doing her nails and giving her French tips on her, you know, <laughs> acrylic fingernails back in ancient Israel. But the point is, she is trying to keep herself spotless from the world and ready for the groom to show up. What are we supposed to be doing as Christians for each other? We are supposed to be helping each other remain pure and virtuous as we wait for the coming of our king, okay? In this case, the groom, we don't know when it's gonna happen. The Bible says it could happen at morning or midnight or noon. So we wanna always remain ready. So all the, usually it would be sisters and cousins and these girls would be remaining with the bride and they try to keep her ready and keep her excited that the groom was coming. What does Paul talk about in 2 Thessalonians? Encourage one another with these words. When he talks about the rapture, when he talks about the second coming, he says that we are supposed to encourage one another with these words. It's supposed to be something that should get us excited and the, the eminency of Christ, the idea that he could show up at any moment is supposed to help us keep clean, we are supposed to keep ourselves from the world because when the Lord Jesus shows up to bring us home to heaven with him, we want to be, uh, we want to, uh, be a pure, chaste virgin who has saved herself for her groom. We want to look good. We want to be doing the Lord's work. We want the groom to be happy with us when he shows up. Then what happens when the groom comes? First of all, the groom does not go alone. The groom goes with the groomsman. He comes down, <clears throat> and just like the Lord Jesus is going to be coming down with all of the angels to grab us and take us up in the twinkling of an eye, okay? The trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, okay? We're going to be with the Lord forever. The angels come down with the Lord Jesus, grab everyone. We get transformed into our new glorified body. Read about that in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, and 15. Then where are we going? We are going up to heaven. Well, what are we going up to heaven for? How long are we going there? And what's the point? <clears throat> well, when you go to the book of Judges in chapter 14, you read about the seven-day wedding feast in the book of Samson. So the groom takes the bride <clears throat> back to the father's house, <clears throat> and there is a seven-day party. Well, what is it called in heaven when we go to heaven? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's a period of time for seven years. Then at the end of that, okay, the marriage is consummated. I'm sure it's at the beginning of that seven-day feast, not at the end. And then they all come back together. And what happens at the end of the seven years and the, the tribulation and the, the when the wrath of God is being poured out here on earth? What happens then? Immediately after that, 
whether you're in Matthew chapter 24 or Revelation chapter 21, immediately after that, the Lord Jesus comes back with the saints. Every saved person comes back with the Lord Jesus. I believe we're on, all on white horses, but I could care less. I've never been a horse guy, so that's never stood out to me. We come back and then starts the millennial reign of Christ. So that is the picture of the Jewish wedding feast and how it relates to the second coming of Christ and the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, the problem that you run into is that in the mid-tribulation rapture theory or the post-tribulation rapture theory, number one, in the mid-trib, you lose the eminency of Christ. Okay, the whole idea is no man knoweth the day or the hour, right? How many of us have read that a million times? That's why we all make fun of people who predict the day the Lord is coming back. Because the Bible says, no man shall know the day or the hour. As a matter of fact, I feel like I got to pull up that verse just so we can all make sure that, you know, it actually is in there. Okay, <clears throat> Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angel of heaven, but my father only. So <clears throat> what's the problem with the mid-tribulation rapture? Well, we know exactly when it would happen. If it happens in the middle of the tribulation, we literally start the tribulation and we count three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. However you want to do it, we know the exact time that the mid-tribulation rapture comes because there's an event on that day. In the middle of it, the Antichrist stands up in the holiest of holies in the temple in Jerusalem and causes the sacrifices to cease and declares himself to be God and commands everyone to fall down and worship him. The mid-tribulation rapture does not work because we know the exact day and the hour that it's going to happen. And the eminency of Christ is the whole idea that <clears throat> we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And it says that so clearly. Jesus said that he didn't even know. The angels don't know. Nobody knows except the Father. Okay, then we have the post-tribulation rapture view. There's several problems with this. Number one, you find out that in every one of these stories throughout the Bible, you find out that the Lord delivers his people so they don't have to go through the wrath of God. Now, understand, there are times in the Bible where people are punished. I understand that. Israel had to, um, they had to uh, go through the, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, the Babylonian captivity, and they were actually, you know, they were slaves in Egypt. I, I understand all that. Okay? <clears throat> but when we have a picture of the wrath of God coming down, we see that there is always a group, and, and it's not just any group. It's a group of godly people. I hate to say this, okay? We already went over Noah. What's the next big destructive event that we read about in the Bible? It's in the book of Genesis. We all know it. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, a lot of people have uh, trouble believing this and they struggle with this because when you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which I believe is in Genesis 19, you read about Lot and he doesn't really sound like father of the year, right? 
But when you read about him in the New Testament, guess what? It says that Lot was a just man. Okay, Lot is a saved guy. I know that's hard to believe, okay, but that's what the Bible says. Lot was removed before the wrath of God fell. As a matter of fact, when you read through that story, the angels who went to go get Lot, which keep in mind is the same way the rapture happens, the angels are involved there. When the angels went to get Lot and remove him from the city, they said that until he left, the wrath of God could not fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is the same case during the rapture. The Christians, the bride of Christ, the church, has to be pulled out first. It cannot happen while the bride is here. The post-tribulation rapture view <clears throat> has the same issues, but it's, it, it also makes no sense. Number one, God is not going to beat up his bride for seven years and then show up at the end of the wedding feast with a bride who is bloodied and has black eyes and has gone through the ringer. And that's exactly what would happen to the church, the bride of Christ, if we had to stay here on earth. Secondly, what happens immediately at the end of that seven-year period? Jesus and the church come back. So if you want to believe that we are raptured at the end, then what that means is we're raptured, that seven-year period's already over, and what do we immediately do? Come right back down with the Lord Jesus. It is a ridiculous idea. It doesn't make any sense. And people say, well, you know, we have avoided so much persecution for so long. You know, doesn't, you know, how can we get away with not having to go through some tough times? First of all, that's a ridiculous notion. The church today is being rounded up and killed all over the world just because we have it pretty well here in America does not mean that Christians are not going through a hard time. And number two, let's remember something. And, and this is a point that we have to make because so many people don't understand this. There is a difference between tribulation that Christians must go through. John 14, uh, not John 14. What was the verse that I talked about before? It was, uh, let's see. Okay, John chapter 16, verse 33. There's a difference between tribulation that comes from who? The world. That's where the tribulation comes from that we have to go through. Well, what are we talking about when we're talking about the vials being poured out and the bowls of wrath? And Okay, what, what are we talking about? That is the wrath of God. That is supernatural chaos and destruction being poured out on the earth from God. Now, this is the hardest part for so many people to understand. Who is that wrath there for? Most people assume, well, it's for an unbelieving world. No, it is not. 
the wrath of God during the great tribulation, during the time of Jacob's trouble, that is for the nation of Israel. The Bible says that the Lord will not return until Israel, look up in the prophet Hosea, until Israel calls on the Lord and recognizes him for who he is. It, it, the Lord <clears throat> will not come back at the end of the seven years until the nation of Israel, the Jews, admit that they missed the Messiah and that Jesus Christ is the king. And then he will come back. That is the whole point of the Great Tribulation. Now, I'm not saying the world's not going to get hit with that. It is a worldwide event. Believe me, the Gentiles who are here, everyone who is not saved is going to get it. I'm just saying that is the purpose of it. It is to bring the Jews to their knees to recognize that they have missed it. The prophets have pointed to him for all these years. He showed up and they rejected him. They killed him. And when they were asked, <clears throat> uh, what has this man done? Okay, and Pilate goes and he symbolically washes his hands and holds them up and says, the blood of this man is not on my hands. He is innocent. They said his blood be on us and on our children. And that's exactly what's going to happen. The Lord is going to be recognized as the Messiah by the nation of Israel at the end of those seven years. And that is the purpose of it, so that he can be received by his own as king. Okay, so I went on for about 40 minutes. Does anyone have any questions that you want to jump in here with? I'll scroll through the comments. And Caleb, have you thought of any? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so a couple of um, thoughts that I have on that. So do you, you're, the lot the there's a few points that i thought about jumping in on but i'm like oh i'm not going inter to interrupt you or train of thought it's good now's the but, time but uh, so your last your last um, point there as far as the difference between the jews being god's uh, chosen people mm -hmm. and the church obviously mm -hmm. there's distinctions made between those things in the bible um do you do you think like the situation that you brought up where Daniel is prophesying about the abomination and the destruction of the temple um, that said there was a seven year period that matches that that happened. And obviously, most of us are aware of Han the Hanukkah celebration. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, which was celebrating um, where the Maccabee brothers um, had were victorious at the end of that seven years. Do you think there's any chance that some of that could be referring to prophecy, Daniel's prophecy already being fulfilled? Um, so, no, what, what you're talking about is what's called the preterist belief, the idea that the prophecy already has been been filled. The, there are several issues with that. Um, now, the, the, the reason that people believe that is because of the abomination of desolation. You got to remember that that's already happened twice in world history. And people want to pin that on that time period in between the Old and the New Testament, which was <clears throat> um, 
when the temple was desecrated and then there was the Maccabean revolt and they actually, um, uh, it's, it's a long story. We can get into it one day. I'd be happy to tell the story, but at the end of the Maccabean vault, the Jews regained, uh, the temple. And that's when they decided to, uh, light the menorah and they only had oil for one day and it, it burned for eight. And that was the miracle of Hanukkah that Caleb was referring to. So <clears throat> the issue is if that was the abomination of desolation, first of all, there's no seven year period there. It just doesn't exist. The only thing that happened was that there was uh, a Gentile um, who went in and desecrated the temple. So the, the problem is that if that were the case, what happens immediately after that? Well, then you have the thousand year millennial reign. And during that thousand year millennial reign, you got to remember uh, the devil is bound up and he is cast into the bottomless pit, and he's chained up, and he can knock it out for a thousand years. See, <clears throat> it really doesn't follow. You have to ignore so many other events that are going on um, before and after it. Just because right. the temple was desecrated, that, that doesn't mean that it fits. And what Caleb is referring to is the 69 weeks of Daniel. So what you had is you had a 69-week prophecy, and that took place from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, because at the time of Daniel, Jerusalem was in ruins after the Babylonian uh, siege. And <clears throat> you find out, and you read about this through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were allowed to go back and rebuild the temple, but then they later on, Nehemiah gets permission to go back and rebuild the wall. And you find that from the command that went from Artaxerxes, Lanus Germanus, uh, it, the date there until the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the Prince, was going to be 69 weeks. And that was weeks of years. And when you do the math, you actually find out that from the day that the uh, command was given by Artaxerxes to go back and rebuild the temple all the way up until the day that Jesus showed up in Jerusalem riding on a donkey uh, to declare himself as king, that was uh, those 69 weeks of years fulfilled to the exact day. And one, Caleb, one day we're going to have, I'm going to have to go over that whole story and show people that prophecy because it's one of the most amazing ones in the Bible. But, and when you read through the book of Matthew, you find out uh, shortly before his crucifixion, he enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. There are the palm branches. They're all singing from the Psalms, uh, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus gets to the top of the hill and he looks over Jerusalem and he starts to cry. And you say, well, why is he crying? Well, because it was prophesied in the book that he was going to show up on that very day. And everyone was supposed to know that. And they didn't. And because of that, he, he was, you know, very upset. As a matter of fact, they not only did not accept him as their king, but they crucified him instead. So then what you have is you have a break in that period. So Jesus gets crucified. He obviously dies. He is buried. He resurrects. 40 days later, he ascends. And 10 days after that is Pentecost. And that's the beginning of what we call the church age. From there on, we are in this interim between the 69th week and the 70th week of the prophecy of Daniel. And we are waiting for that 70th week. And keep in mind, when we talk about a week, we're talking about a week being a group of seven. 
we're talking about weeks of years. And when you read through Daniel uh, chapter seven through chapter nine, you, you understand how this works. And we are in that interim. And that last week is going to be the abomination of desolation. And, and here's the thing. Okay, Caleb, this is the, this is the, this is the thing. Jesus in the book of Matthew called that week that he said is coming the abomination of desolation. And his next words were spoken of by Daniel. So we know it didn't happen before Jesus came because Jesus talked about it, said the week is coming. And he said, Daniel is the one that talked about it. So Jesus destroys the idea of preterism that the abomination of desolation happened prior to Christ being on the earth during the Maccabean revolt. I mean, he says it flat out. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the abomination of desolation that is coming. He says, uh, and in Matthew chapter 24, okay, when you read through Matthew chapter 24, you find out that his disciples came to him um, and uh, they said, uh, you know, uh, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. Th that's what they asked him. And then he goes on for the whole chapter explaining it. And he says in the middle of that chapter, I got it right here in front of me. He says, uh, well, sorry, I turned to Revelation because we were there. So give me one second. My Bible like naturally falls open to Matthew 24 because I'm in it so much. And while and, you're turning it, just really quickly, I my it was just an honest question. I was asking, I wasn't yeah. <laughs> trying to um, get it was off a good question. on it because I certainly don't subscribe to that. But I was just wondering if, uh, you know, what your what your thought on is is on that. And if, if you feel like that that separating the church from the Jewish people is necessary a hundred percent through all of the, the end times timeline there. That Short my, answer. My absolutely. Cause what you have to remember is during that seven year period, who is here on the earth giving the world, the gospel, it's the Jews. It's the believing Jews. It talks about the 144,000. Where are they from? From the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses nonsense doesn't fly. They talk about they're the 144,000. Well, what tribe are you from? It says they're Jewish. Okay. So in, in here we go. Um, we read about uh, in verse 14 of Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto the nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. He's talking about it as a futuristic event. He says, this is coming. It's going to happen. Well, what's going to happen? The prophecy spoken of by Daniel. So Jesus connects the two and he says, nope, that is going to be in the future. And he says, when that happens, this is what you want to be. Uh, this is what you want to be doing. Okay. Now people have a people really struggle with that as well because they're like, well, why is Jesus giving anyone instructions as far as what they're supposed to be doing when the abomination of desolation happens? Aren't we all supposed to be gone? No, Jesus, who, who, who is Matthew's gospel written to? It was written to the Jews. Matthew was Jewish. Luke was a Gentile. And when you read about Jesus's end times prophecy in the book of Luke, you find differences. 
Well, why do you find differences? Because Luke was writing to the Gentiles. Matthew was writing to the Jews. The Jews are here. They are going to remain here. The church, the Christians who are saved, they're going to be gone, which is why there are differences. And people get all hung up on that. And people even, you know, try to make a big thing and say, oh, there's a problem with the Bible because these two stories don't line up. They're different stories. Okay. They're, 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 they're written to different people, literally. Okay. Great question. Abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. I hope this is not, if this is going over anyone's head, please get a hold of me, send me a message or an email and, and, and tell me, you know, Patrick, could you please go over the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel? Glad to. We'll pick a day when Caleb's on vacation because he doesn't care about prophecy, you know, and we'll just get That's into it. And that I'll, is so. <laughs> okay, so, and just to clear that up, I actually do. I, prophecy is extremely important to uh -huh. actually proving the truth of God's word. You can't backpedaling. No, I'm not backpedaling. Digging himself out of his hole. My whole reason for being for being um, a little ignorant. <laughs> my my whole reason for being apprehensive to get into um, boldly making statements about things that are to come mm -hmm. in scripture based off of my understanding of uh, biblical prophecy is in an effort not to be a false prophet because I do take mm -hmm. prophecy very seriously. And I think that the fact that biblical prophecy has been fulfilled and it's the only book that's had prophecy that consistently is fulfilled. And there's plenty of other books that have tried and there's stab at at predicting the future and have consistently failed or inconsistently uh, failed to get it right some of the time, get it wrong some of the time. Um, that's my biggest reason for being apprehensive about diving into a topic like this on end times teaching and, and giving somebody a teaching that I could be wrong on. And then, I, and then I find out that I was um, leading people off. Um, one, one thing that I just thought I, that I would mention here, which, um, I think you do, you do a pretty good job as far as defending this doctrine. I think you do a pretty good job of it, but I know I, I was, I was hoping actually that I was going to see you do more scripture and less um, analogy based off of, I mean, almost everybody that I've heard really try to give a defense for a pre-tribulation rapture has usually tends to d delve off into painting pictures of old Testament things like the wedding feast or like the flood and Noah or Sodom and Gomorrah and God not destroying a lot. Um, those are pretty common arguments that I've heard against it, which could be true, but I mean, I could paint all kinds of pictures and build doctrine off of it. And uh, I mean, honestly, when I, whenever I hear somebody trying to build doctrine off of, off of something that's projected onto an old, old Testament passage, maybe there's similarities but do you feel like that it's safe to build doctrine to build doctrine off of those similarities, or do you think that's dangerous? I guess is my question on that. Hundred um, percent. Paul actually tells us uh, in First Corinthians that the Old Testament was written for us to be an example. Okay, I, the the, uh, the whole idea is. I mean, what what you're explaining is what we do with the Passover. Okay, the, the Passover was described as a lamb, the firstborn male, without spot or blemish, right? To be killed on a certain day, the blood on the doorpost. Those are all pictures right. that we use to paint salvation. And who uses those as pictures? Paul does again and again and again and again. He does it in Romans. He does it in Hebrews. 
Paul used those pictures to describe who Jesus was and how salvation works to both Gentiles and Jews. I mean, honestly, what I'm doing is the same thing that Paul does. It's the same thing that Peter did. Peter often goes back, you know, and they all quote the Old Testament to uh, and use it to explain uh, what Jesus was doing and how it works. So for, I've never had an issue with it. I don't see how someone I, I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where I don't see how a lot of people could understand what the New Testament is saying without the Old Testament. I mean, I, I agree. There's there's plenty of pictures that are painted in the Old Testament that are clearly carried over to the New Testament. I just would be I'd be apprehensive of building doctrine on something that I mean, for instance, you'll never find the word rapture. In well, I read the King James Bible. You'll never find the mm -hmm. word rapture in there, and so obviously some of these some of these things that we end up finding seem very coherent given terminology that I feel like it's bordering on on um, on projecting something out of the Bible. And I'm not here to argue against this is this is the argument the case for pre <laughs> pre tribulation sure. rapture. I'm not here and to argue against it. So be, yeah, let me let me answer your question. Okay, the word rapture does appear many times, and it is called the Septuagint. The Bible that was in circulation at the time of Christ was a Greek version of the Bible. Why? Because that was the worldwide language. So the Jews, because you got to remember, all the Jews at the time of Christ did not speak Hebrew. It was mostly for religious purposes. It was for ceremonies. Okay, Hebrew was being phased out. So <clears throat> there was a Greek Bible called the Septuagint that the uh, that the rabbis and the, you know, the, uh, the scribes put together. And that was the Bible that was used at the time of Christ. The word rapture, rapturo, is used many, many times in that Bible. And it is used during the story of Enoch, during the stories of uh, um, Elisha, when he is taken up in the whirlwind. Uh, it is used every time someone is snatched up quickly and taken away. That is it, literally what the word means. Do you find it in the King James Bible? Absolutely not. I don't see that that's a case for it. No, we have I'm, seen people right. taken by God and poof, they're gone. They did not die, but they're with God. So we have Enoch, we have Elisha, we have Paul in the New Testament. Um, it happens. Uh, we had it with John. Uh, John was taken by the Spirit uh, when he wrote the book of Revelation. We have it in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken by the Spirit and brought to Jerusalem to prophesy. So we see it <clears throat> again and again and again. <clears throat> Is the word rapture there? No, but I don't see that that, you know, yeah. gives no, anyone I, a hard time. I, I, I'm not bringing that up as a case to get. So, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give it back to you, but I'm just going to make a couple of points that I wanted to make as far as my, my position on this. And then I'll let you take it away from there. We're almost at the end of the hour. So obviously um, you had made the statement earlier that I, that I don't care about the issue. I certainly do it, but I just don't <laughs> take a, I don't take a strong position where I'm willing to, to go out on a limb and, and to say, say that I, I think that it's going to be this way or that way. And the, one of the, one of the, issues. One of the first times that this came up that I ended up in a debate about this. So I was at a bluegrass festival in Colorado. I don't know if you ever met the guy. His name was Joe Creek or Joe. Yeah. Joe Creek. Everybody called him Banjo Joe. And if you ever went to a bluegrass festival there, he'd yodel into the back of his banjo and, and he's just a character. And he walked past me at a bluegrass festival one day and he's like, when am I going to find some King James Bible believing Christians that believe in the Trinity and a pre-tribulation rapture? He's like, I can't find them. <laughs> anyway, he, he went in 
he, he just he went into this whole thing and and i stood there listening to him for a while and i was like i came here for the banjo and now we're having a bible bible discussion on pre-tribulation rapture <laughs> anyways um I I was a little I've been a bit alarmed by seeing people argue over over this over the issue when it's it's a relatively new concept to to Christian doctrine. It wasn't I mean before the sewing machine was around, there wasn't Christians believing in pre-tribula- pre-tribulation rapture. It came came around in the in the 1830s, um, and it wasn't even very popular until quite a ways later in the 1880s after the telephone was invented. So it's a, it's a fairly new thing. It's not like some, something that Christians have been arguing about forever. It was the doctrine really became a a popular thing in the mid 1800s. Yes. John Darby. But anyways, the fact that Christians would become divided over it and spend time discussing it, arguing it. That's why I'm always apprehensive about arguing about something that I, I see to be a, um, a, a useless, a useless issue to be talking about or arguing about because, however, God does it in the end, like Patrick said, it's going to happen the way it happens. And as long as, as long as your salvation is secure, then who cares? Um, but the idea that that that's one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest problems with with the idea of arguing for or against um, a pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture is the idea that here we are as Christians that should be loving. We're all going to the same place and we, we can't end up delving off into fighting over it. Now, that being said, I think that it's I, when Patrick put it up, I was like, man, this is a fun topic. I can't wait to get on it because I think it's worth discussing. It is a big issue in today's society. I, I wish it hadn't become uh, personally. I, I just wish that it, somebody had a dream and then somebody else caught onto it and claimed that it was his invention and ran with the thing. And I, I personally thought Christianity could have probably been better served not to get into arguing about a timeline because Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour. Um, I wanted to read one quote, and this is because I tend to agree with Corey Ten Boom on this issue. Uh, I'm just going to read one quote now. Here I go about bringing about something extra biblical into the issue. But this is the practical, my practical concern about making a, a promise. I, I think the gospel is good enough without us having to sweeten the deal by any means. And I hope Patrick is right on this, much like his internal security argument. I hope that um, everybody gets out of here, that we all get an escape plan and and don't have to endure tribulation. But there's clearly people, and I think this works well into American or Western Christianity, because people have, God's blessed us with a time of of peace and not, not as much tribulation or persecution, but there's people around the world that certainly do deal with it. So Corrie Ten Boom, a lot of people are familiar with her story. She was in a concentration camp. Uh, she and her sister were both in there. Her sister prayed for a miracle, believed that God would deliver her from it. Her sister died the next day. Um, and so I'm just going to read a, a little quote. Uh, she says, my sister Betsy and I were in the Nazi concentration camp because we committed the crime of loving Jesus. 700 of us from Holland, France, Russia, Poland, and Belgium were herded into a room built for 200. As far as I knew, Betsy and I were the only two representatives of heaven in that room. We may have been the Lord's only representatives in that place of hatred, yet because of our presence there, things changed. Jesus said, 
in the world you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. We too are to be overcomers, bringing the light of Jesus into a world filled with darkness and hate. Sometimes I get frightened as I read the Bible and as I look at the world and see all of the tribulation and persecution promised by the Bible coming true. Now I can tell you, though, if you too are afraid that I have read, that I have just read the last pages, I now come to shouting hallelujah, hallelujah, for I found where it is written that Jesus said, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is the future and hope of the world. Not that the world will survive, but that we shall be overcomers in the midst of a dying world. Betsy and I in the concentration camp prayed that God would heal Betsy, who was so weak and sick. Yes, the Lord will heal me, Betsy said with confidence. She died the next day, and I could not understand it. They laid her thin body on the concrete floor, along with the other corpses of the women who died that day. It was hard for me to understand, to believe that God had a purpose for all that. Yet, because of Betsy's death, today I am traveling all over the world telling people about Jesus. There are some among us teaching there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to escape all of this. And this is her words. She says, these are false teachers that Jesus is warning us to expect in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. I've been in countries where the saints are already suffering terrible persecution. In China, the Christians were told, don't worry, before the tribulations come, you will be translated or raptured. Then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, I heard a bishop from China say, sadly, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for persecution rather than telling them Jesus would come first. Tell the people to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes to stand and not faint. So this is my only point is whether you believe in a pre-tribulation um, rapture or not, we should realize that Jesus, the, the gist of his message was not that we had an escape route. The gist of his message was that there will be troubles. You will endure it, that there will be saints that are martyred and that they will be resurrected with him. So whether you're hoping and, and praying for a pre-tribulation rapture, I hope you get it, hopefully, hopefully. But I think the church should be doing a better job of preparing people to deal with persecutions. When, when I was baptized, I had very, very um, clear in my mind that I was committing to, uh, to death, um, just not just a, a picture of death and, and burial and water, but that I should be unto death with God and, and willing to commit even to death. And there's been a lot of Christians that have, have walked that walk. And um, if we, if, if we take this idea of the escape route too flippantly, I think that we could let people um, be deceived into thinking that, Hey, it's all, it's all going to be easy. And then when they come across tribulation, then um, are they unprepared for it? So that's my, that's my, my biggest concern with it is be prepared for tribulation either way um okay. don't build doctrine off of analogies and it's a pretty new doctrine that hasn't been around forever so those are my <clears throat> okay. those are my objections and don't fight okay. over it that's the other thing so here i'm saying don't fight okay. and here we go let's fight <laughs> so number one it is important to understand that everything caleb said is completely different from what i am saying he is explaining tribulation that comes from who was any of that from God? The Christians in China, did that come from God? The Nazis in Germany and Poland, did that come from God? The tribulation in Belarus right now, is that coming from God? It's coming from the world. I started this podcast by explaining to everybody John chapter 16 and quoted that verse. 
and explain right. the difference. That is not what I'm talking about at all. What I am talking about is a seven-year period where the wrath of God is poured out. That is the great tribulation that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I'm not telling Christians that they can avoid persecution. I started out saying they will have it in this life. And I quoted the same verse that you just quoted. There is a right. difference between persecution from the world, which Jesus promises, which I said, and seven years of supernatural wrath from God that will be poured out. There is a difference between those two. And what I am saying is that the church is removed before that. <clears throat> Point number two, the idea that this is a new concept is 100% baloney. It is from Paul's mouth. It is very clearly from the first generation of Christians. Now, has it become more popular recently? Absolutely. But that has nothing to do when, with when the doctrine started. It says, <clears throat> for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, those are saints who died, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There will be a resurrection, and all the saints who have died will resurrect. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. It's not because we all die simultaneously. It is because we are called up with the Lord. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be, uh, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The Bible says to comfort one another with these words. These words do not unequip Christians to deal with persecution. Paul said to explain this to people and to understand that this was supposed to be a great source of comfort to everybody. The idea of the rapture is not new. It did not come up in the 1800s. It was taught by the first generation of Christians. It was taught by Paul in the New Testament. And it was a picture that was shown to us all the way back in the Old Testament. The idea that this is new is nonsense. Do not believe that. If you do, then explain to me what Paul was talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can't do it, okay? It's not a new idea. Now, to answer some questions, Peter Garrett, you asked about or, or mentioned the time of Jacob's trouble, and you thought that was the time of the Holocaust. Great point. Let me explain how it works. In the time of the Holocaust, one-third of all the Jews in the world died during the Holocaust. When you read through the book of Ezekiel, you find that a tribulation is coming where two-thirds of all the Jews on earth are going to die. As terrible as the Holocaust was, those seven years are going to be that much worse. 
there is going to be a time period where two-thirds of all the Jews are going to die. That is the time of Jacob's trouble that was prophesied back in Jeremiah. Go back through, I think I mentioned uh, the verses already, but I'll tell you again. That was in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Read that chapter for context, and you'll see that it's clearly talking about the end times when that takes place. Great point. Glad you brought it up. Hope that, uh, hope that answer helps. Okay, then <clears throat> we come down and we see we got a... A question or a comment from Beverly. Okay, Beverly, you were asking about, well, who got grafted into the olive tree? Okay, so what you got to understand is that are the Christians, or really, let's, let's not use the term Christians, can the Gentiles be grafted into that olive tree that the Lord Jesus talks about when he's referring to the children of Israel? Absolutely. We get the benefits of what the Lord promises. Okay, but you have to remember that does not make us the children of Israel. The children of Israel and the church have a different origin, mission, and destiny from each other. Even after the church is raptured, the Jews are still here on earth, and, and many of them are serving the Lord and doing the Lord's will. We find the Jews all the way through the millennial reign. So you have two different groups, but please understand, even though one group is grafted in and they get the benefits, please understand that the church and the nation of Israel are two different groups. Caleb, you ready to come back in? No, that's okay. I'm, I'm bringing you in. Caleb's phone died. I know a lot of you were putting up comments thinking that he was just running in fear from all the amazing Bible verses that I was bringing up. Um, but he is here and Caleb uh, knows as much as all, all of us do that we love him and his uh, silly, apathetic, unbiblical ideas. They are welcome here on Bible Thumper. And um, so, <laughs> okay, so I'm, uh, Caleb, I was just going over some questions here where I was, where I was trying to. So then, da, 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 da. okay. So I, dropped off right before I got to, to respond or follow up, but I, 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 we both agree. And I, I noticed right up front that we definitely agree on the, on the fact that Christians do deal with persecution and tribulation. Absolutely. And so anyway, we do agree with that. I'm just, I would hate to be wrong on something as far as the great tribulation and, and then have people think they're going to get a free pass out of here and they find out they were wrong and they, they give up. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, more than anyone, Christians in America, I, I will tell you this. And, and, and let me let me clear something up, because what the, the point Caleb was making was right on the money in one way. I just wanted to clear up the differences that that we we saw there as far as what we both believe. Personally, I do not believe that the rapture is going to happen until America crumbles and feels great persecution from the world. I just believe that prior to the supernatural pouring out of the wrath of God 
that we literally read about coming from the angels, from the vials and the bowls of wrath from God in the book of Revelation. I believe that Christians are going to be pulled out before that takes place. I do not see America lasting another 25 years. I would be amazed if we were able to keep up this pace for that long. I believe we're going to crumble. It's going to be corrupt and we're going to fizzle out. Uh, we don't need a foreign invader to come in. Uh, we're doing a good enough job of destroying our own country. And as that happens, uh, Christians are definitely going to get a bullseye. Uh, we're going to be uh, beaten up for sure. Um, and, you know, there is a good chance that we will fizzle out and our country will not exist anymore. And you say, Patrick, why do you believe that? Well, it's easy. We're not in prophecy. We don't show up in the end times. Turkey does. Russia does. Iran does. China does. There's lots of countries that show up. Uh, Iraq is there. Several major cities around the world are mentioned, but America's we not. Should run, we should run with this and go ahead and just, <laughs> and, and uh, we could make this podcast viral, honestly, if we, if we just would go ahead and predict a date tonight. Move right Figure into how, politics. Based off of the election, the if, if the election goes one way or the other, how far do you think it takes before the country collapses? You know, I'm pretty sure that Las Vegas is already running odds. You can make a bet on it <laughs> if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, Caleb, we are um, about an hour and 20 minutes in. Uh, I say we uh, say goodnight and uh, thank you for being so gracious and letting me go on and on with my idea. I know that not everyone uh, out there in Christianity believes it. Keep in mind, folks, um, the, the most important thing Caleb and I want from all of you is for you to do your own homework. Uh, don't believe me because of what I say. Don't believe Caleb because of what he says. Get into the Bible, look up the scriptures, make up your own mind, and consider all of this. There's, there's, a, um, there, uh, there's a guarantee that I'm wrong about some things. There's a good chance that I'm wrong about many. So we certainly want you to go to your Bible and do your own homework and come up and form your own conclusions. Uh, that's the best thing that you can do. And that'll get you strong with the Lord uh, for sure. So I just want to say thank you, everybody. And thank you, Caleb, for really relinquishing practically an hour of their time to me so I could go over this idea. It was kind of you to do that. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. It's always I, I really it's more fun to talk to somebody that has a different view on scriptural issues than just always talking to people that have the same exact view. So I, I, I knew I'd enjoy uh, hearing you make the, uh, the case for it. And I think you made a good case for it. Um, everybody remember we have um, a change in our schedule. This is our last Friday night episode. We will not have an episode until next Sunday. So not, not coming up in a couple of days on Sunday, but next Sunday will be our next episode. And we're going to be Sunday evenings. Uh, the same time, uh, same format. It'll just be bigger, better, uh, better looking. <laughs> more <And> Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it'll see, be Sundayer. Yeah, more. It'll be more. It'll be more re religiousy, right? Because Christians go to church on Sunday. We should read the Bible on Sunday. That's so. I, Caleb I is talking about October twenty-fifth. We get that from, but anyways, it is October twenty-fifth. Not Sunday in two days, like the 18th, October 25th, we will be on Sunday. We'll post that on the Facebook page, but please pass that around. You know, we're going to be uh, on Sundays, not Fridays. And 
for those of you that like to listen on Fridays, you can still listen to our podcasts on Fridays on Spotify or Facebook. You'll just be getting it a few days late mm-hmm. <laughs> because our, our podcast will be coming out on the first day of the week and you guys will be coming in on the sixth day of the week. Uh, but it doesn't matter if your if your habit is to come in on Fridays, they'll get on here on Fridays and there will be a new episode up every week on Fridays. Um, and we're we have actually delayed this change for quite a while. Patrick and I have have talked it over and we don't like the idea of changing things up on you guys. But um, it seems like it's the best thing for both of our families at this point to be able to have family time on Friday nights and uh, Sunday evenings will just work better logistically for both of us. So. Thank you all. Have a good evening. Shabbat Shalom, Patrick. Thanks for the for the discussion tonight. Shabbat Shalom. Everyone have a great night. We'll see you in about 10 days.